Greetings. This is Alum Radio coming to you from the seacoast of New Hampshire. And I am your host, John Lovering. On this track of Alum Radio, I present what is considered to be a horror radio program. You know, the two types of radio nighttime programming that I listened to as a preteen boy were baseball games and radio horror programs. Programs that featured gruesome sound effects and some sort of beast turned loose coming at me from my radio speaker. The horror programming turned loose in my imagination allowed me to be haunted by some creature following me into my room and seeking me out while I hid under the covers, sometimes even under the bed, with my radio and a flashlight. Come to think of it, it was damn scary. In 1963, Eric Bowersfield, who was the director of Berkeley's Drama and Literature Department at radio station KPFA-FM for 31 years, produced a horror program that scared the bejesus out of me a lot of times. I don't know why I kept on listening. Like to be punished, I guess. I don't know. Bowersfield titled his series The Black Mass. That alone should have made me tune to something else. What was really scary was him as an actor, his voice using it as if he had gone mad, coming back from the dead, frothing at the mouth, talking like a woman, totally losing it. Much like the famed actor of film and a considerable amount of radio, the one and only Peter Lorre. On this track, you're going to hear how the Black Mass works, as I offer another episode from the series. This one aired on September 14, 1965. And the interesting part is that it's based on a story written by Herman Melville, the writer of Moby Dick. But this is a very different story, and it's in a setting totally different from Moby Dick. It is entitled Bartleby the Scrivener. Now just in case you're not familiar with the definition of scrivener, it is a term used to describe someone who professionally copies records, notes, court proceedings, etc. by hand, wrote the things out by hand, also known as a scribe. Heirloom Radio, a different kind of oldies program, now presents a rebroadcast of The Black Mast, with our host being Eric Bowerfield in Bartleby the Scrivener by Herman Melville. I thank you for the privilege of your time as you listen to this very different tale of The Black Mast. the Black Mass.
Several of our listeners requested that we do a story by Herman Melville called Bartleby the Scrivener. And so tonight we bring it to you. The locale of the tale is a far cry from the high seas of Moby Dick and Billy Budd. It's a dreary office building in downtown Manhattan. The hero, Bartleby, should be of timely and appropriate interest to some of our Berkeley student listeners, for he is one of the most outstanding and extreme instances in literature of sit-in, passive resistance. Here now is Bartleby the Scrivener by Herman Melville. The nature of my avocations for the last 30 years has brought me into more than ordinary contact with what would seem an interesting and somewhat singular set of men. Um, I mean the law copyists or, or scriveners. I have known very many of them professionally and privately, but a scrivener the strangest I ever saw or heard of was Bartleby. I believe that no materials exist for a full and satisfactory biography of this man. He was one of those beings of whom nothing is ascertainable except from the original sources. And in this case, those were very small. What my own astonished eyes saw of Bartleby, that is all I know. Except, indeed, one vague report with which I will later conclude. At the period just preceding the advent of Bartleby, I had in my second-floor chambers on Wall Street two persons as copyists in my employment. But since the now-extinct office of Master in Chancery had been conferred upon me, my avocations had been largely increased. There was now great work for Scriveners, and I had advertised for additional help. Sir? Uh, Mr. Nippers, um, what is it? The young man is here. Uh, what young man? Who answered your advertisement? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Where is he? There in the doorway, sir. Oh. Oh, yes. Uh, thank you, Nippers. Yes, sir. I can see that figure now. Pallidly neat. Pitiably respectable. Incurably forlorn. My name is Bartleby. Uh, come in. Uh, come right in. I sent my statement of qualification. Uh, yes, I, I have it here. And, and very satisfactory, very satisfactory. I'm prepared to begin work immediately. Uh, well, it's mid-morning now. Uh, suppose we start right after noon lunch, eh? I would prefer to begin work immediately if I may be shown my desk. Uh, well, uh, well, very well. Uh, as you see, uh, the office is divided by the, the glass folding doors over here. My, my scriveners occupy the other half. Uh, but I need someone with an easy call. So, Bartleby, you, you will occupy the desk here. And, uh, and we will separate yours from mine by this folding screen. Uh, uh, you see, I've placed your desk 
close up to that small side window. Um, it affords no view at all, I'm afraid, except the brick wall across the shaft. Um, but some light comes down. Uh, well, what do you think? The arrangement will be entirely satisfactory. Uh, well, well, I think so, I think so. Uh, the screen will isolate you enough for privacy, uh, but still within my voice. <clears throat> um, uh, Mr. Nippers, uh, Mr. Nippers, will you come here and, and bring a portion of the testimony? Uh, we're in the midst of an important suit at the moment. I'll start you off with a portion of that. Um, uh, we'll need it in triplicate. Uh, later we can check your copies and nippers all together. Ah, oh, nippers, nippers, uh, this is Bartleby. How do you do, Bartleby? And uh, nippers will be more than pleased with the relief of your assistance, Bartleby. He's been working well beyond his share lately. Um, uh, have you the testimony, nippers? Uh, yes, here, sir. Ah, well, thank you, nippers. Um, uh, that will be all. Yes, sir. Welcome to the office, Bartleby. I can begin with the copying immediately. Uh, that will be all, Nippers. Uh, very well, Bartleby. Here are the documents. Here. <clears throat> There's the paper and, and the ink. They're the quills. Uh, you can start here. Here. Um, Mr. Watts. Mr. Watts. My client has requested... Uh, uh, and so on. Hmm. Uh, a fine hand, Bartleby. A fine hand. And he began as if famished for something to copy. He seemed to, to gorge himself on my documents. I should have been delighted with his application had he, had he been cheerfully industrious. But he wrote on silently, palely, mechanically. On the third day of his being with us, Mr. Nippers had joined me to, to examine the triplicate copies, and I had called Bartleby to join us. But when he failed to appear from behind the screen, I became impatient. Bartleby, Bartleby, quick, we are waiting. What's wanted? The copies, the copies, we're going to examine them. Uh, there, here is one for you. Now do let's get started. Oh, the copies... I would prefer not to. <laughs> prefer not to? What do you mean? Are you moonstruck? I want you to help us to compare these copies. Yes, but I would prefer not to. Well, really? <clears throat> Bartleby, these are your own copies we are about to examine. It is labour-saving to you. One, one examination will answer for all three. It's common usage. Every copyist is bound to help examine his copies. Is that not so? Well, will you speak? Answer. I prefer not to. Well, I never heard. Uh, you are decided, then, not to comply with my request. A request made according to common usage and, and common sense. Yes, my decision is irreversible. Well, I never. I never. <laughs> Mr. Nippers, what do you think of this? Uh, pardon my saying, sir, but I think I should kick him out of the office. I've never in my life. It's my opinion, sir, that the man is a little loony. Uh, Bartleby... Uh, listen here. Uh, come forth and do your duty. I'm sorry. I prefer not to. I just march in there and chuck that loony out of the office. Yeah. Yes. Well, well, we must examine the papers anyway. We'll have to do without them for the present. 
stubborn oaf. Well, let's get started, Nippers. And I can tell you, sir, this is the first and last time I'll do another man's work without pay. All right, all right, Nippers, let's get started. <clears throat> he's, a, he's a good worker, nevertheless. Uh, I can say he hasn't been uh, useful to me. Very methodical, very methodical. <clears throat> and just now, just now, it, it's plain he intends no insolence. I say he's a loony. Well, he may be eccentric. I say he's a loony. I've seen him, sir. Yeah. This morning, he was in the office before myself, and I saw him standing behind his screen, just staring at the wall. Never answered me, just staring like a loony. Well, Nippers, I, I think he means no mischief. Uh, let's get on. This incident was, of course, only the beginning. But the tone of my struggle with Bartleby had been set. The battle and the war had been lost in that moment when my initial outrage had given way uh, to second thought. It was his attitude that had stopped me. Not a wrinkle of agitation rippled him. Not the least uneasiness, uh, anger, impatience, or impertinence in his manner. Yes, sir. Uh, Bartleby, when those uh, papers are all copied, I will compare them with you. I would prefer not to. What? Surely you do not mean to persist in that mulish vagary. Uh. Oh. Mm. Uh. Bartleby, the office boy is away. Um. Step around to the post office, won't you, and see if there is anything for me? I would prefer not to. <laughs> you, you will not. I prefer not. It was his passiveness that irritated me. Nothing so aggravates an earnest person as a passive resistance. I felt strangely goaded on to encounter him in ever new oppositions. Bartleby. Uh, Bartleby. Uh, Bartleby. Yes, sir. Uh, go to the next room and tell Mr. Nippers to come to me. I prefer not to. Prefers not to. Very good. Very good, Bartleby. Very good, if you prefer not to. Very good indeed. A wonderful business. Just really wonderful. I have a young scrivener occupying a desk in my own office. The copies for me at the usual rate of four cents a hundred words, but permanently, permanently exempt from examining the work done by himself. <laughs> Moreover, he is never on any account to be dispatched on the most trivial errand of any sort. And even if entreated to take upon him such a matter, it is generally understood that he will prefer not to. <laughs> yes, very good, Bartleby. Very good indeed. <laughs> very good indeed. Bartleby! Yes, sir? Help me with this package. I, I, I want you to, to, to put your finger on the knot here so that I can tie it. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you. Well? I prefer not to. To. Don't you see that I need your assistance? Yes, I see you need assistance. Am I not paying you a salary for your assistance? Yes, you are paying me a salary for my assistance. Well, then assist me! I prefer not to. You prefer not to? Yes, I prefer not to. You prefer? You prefer? <laughs> you prefer? Bartleby! Bartleby! But as the days passed on, I became considerably reconciled to Bartleby. His, his steadiness, his incessant industry, his great stillness. 
One prime thing was this. He was always there. First in the morning, continually through the day, and the last at night. I had a singular confidence in his honesty. I felt my most precious papers perfectly safe in his hands. Now, one Sunday morning, on my way to Trinity Church, and finding myself rather early, I decided to walk around to my chambers for a while. On Sunday, Wall Street is deserted. This building, which on weekdays hums with industry and life, echoes in sheer vacancy. Well, you can imagine my surprise, therefore, when upon applying my key to the door, the door itself opened and Bartleby. What in the world are you doing at the office on a Sunday morning? And in your shirt sleeves? I'm sorry. But I'm deeply engaged just now. I prefer not admitting you at present. What? Bartleby! My own office! Well, we shall see. But when I entered, he had retreated behind his screen. Well, I surmise, Bartleby, that you have been making your home in my office. I would have preferred that you do not enter the office at present. If you walk around the block two or three times, I will probably, by that time, have concluded my affair. I am not angry, Bartleby. Won't you please come out from behind your screen? I prefer not to at present. I'm not angry. I, I don't know what to think about this. How can you sleep on that rickety old sofa... There are no mirrors or, or utensils. How can you dress or eat properly? Is your poverty so great, Bartleby? It Bartleby. It's this place itself all night, all Sunday. It's depressing, forlorn. And here you make your home. What miserable friendlessness and loneliness. What a horrible solitude. Bartleby, Bartleby, will you come here? I'm not going to ask you to do anything you would prefer not to do. I simply wish to speak to you. Will you tell me, Bartleby, where you were born? I would prefer not to. Will you tell me anything about yourself? I would prefer not to. But what reasonable objection can you have to speak to me? I feel friendly towards you. And what is your answer, Bartleby? At present, I prefer to give no answer. Well, then, never mind about revealing your history, but let me entreat you, as a friend, to comply as far as may be with the usages of this office. Say now that you will help to examine papers tomorrow, or the next day. In short, say now that in a day or two you will begin to be a little reasonable. Say so, Bartleby. At present, I would prefer not to be a little reasonable. Bartleby, you mustn't stay here. Have you no friends or relatives? No one? What a strange fellow you are. Never speaks but to answer. I've never seen you read anything but my dreary documents. Not a newspaper. What do you eat? I see some shells here. Ginger nuts. Is that what you eat? Bartleby, come out from behind that screen. 
What are you doing there? Just staring out that window. Just standing motionless and then staring out that window at the stone wall across the shaft. Bartleby. Bartleby, this is too depressing. Come away from there. I prefer not to. What I saw that morning persuaded me that the Scrivener was the victim of innate and incurable disorder. His body did not pain him. It was his soul that suffered. And his soul I could not reach. Several days later, I arrived at the office after a morning at the courts to find Nippers in a state. I'd prefer him. If you don't mind my saying, sir, I'd give him preferences. Hey, what's the matter, Nippers? Well, his lordship prefers to do no copying today. What? I brought the transcripts to him as usual, but as you can see, he prefers to stand at his window in his dead wall reverie. <sighs> All right, Nippers, I'll attend to I, it. I, I'd prefer him, if you don't mind my saying. I'd prefer him right out on his ear. And uh, Nippers, I'd prefer that you withdraw for the present. Yes, sir. What next, Bartleby? Is it true that you have decided to do no writing? No more. And what is the reason? I have given up copying. Ah. I am sorry for you, Bartleby, but the time has come. You must quit this place. I shall see that you go away not entirely unprovided. I prefer not to leave. Uh, you must. Uh, see, I owe you $12 on account. Here are 32 The R20 are yours. Well, will you take it? I prefer not to. I will leave the money here on your desk. I must return to the courts now. When I arrive here tomorrow morning, I will expect that you will have left the premises. But, of course, he preferred not to leave. I arrived early the next morning, fully expecting what was to be. But my temper erupted when I found the door locked from the inside. Bartleby! Bartleby! Open this door immediately! Not yet, I'm occupied. Bartleby, open, I say! Bartleby, will you or will you not quit me? I would prefer not to quit you. Uh, what earthly right do you have to stay here? Do you pay any rent? Do you pay my taxes? Is this property yours? Is it? Is it? No, I don't pay your rent. I don't pay your taxes. This property is not mine. Nothing is mine. All right. All right. All right. I, I will persecute you no longer. Ah, perhaps this is my mission in the world. Though the purpose of my life to furnish you with office room for such period as you may see fit to remain. Well, I could be content with that, Bartleby. Others may have loftier missions. You at least are harmless, <laughs> noiseless, and I never feel so private as when I know you are here. <sighs> there are other things, Bartleby. My colleagues are remarking about their visits here. You baffle them. They are not kindly amused at your preferences. 
and I cannot explain you to them. <sighs> In the end, Bartleby, this counts the more. And so, I find these chambers really too far from the city hall. The air is unwholesome. In a word, I propose to remove my offices next week. I tell you this now, Bartleby, so that you may seek another place. Careful with the filing cabinet. That's it. No, no, it won't make the door that way. Over, over. Ah, that's it. Take the screen next. Ah, yes. Uh, no, no, not yet, Nippers. Uh, well, you can't hide him from the movers, sir. They've already taken the desk out around him. They wanted to know, if you don't mind my saying, if he was part of the furniture. <laughs> uh, very amusing, Mr. Nippers. Uh, take that cabinet first. It will be lighter if you remove the drawers. Uh, we could move him along with everything else. Uh, I don't see why not. You've made a permanent fixture of him. Uh, you will see that the screen around Bartleby is the last thing to be removed from this office, Mr. Nippers. Yes, sir. When the screen was finally withdrawn, it left Bartleby standing motionless in the naked room. Well, Bartleby, are you just going to remain standing there? <laughs> Bartleby, are you aware that you are the cause of great tribulation to me? Well, now, one of two things must take place. Either you must do something or something must be done to you. Would you like to re-engage in copying for someone? No, I would prefer not to make any change. Would you would you like a clerkship in a dry goods store? There's too much confinement about that. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't like a clerkship, but I'm not particular. Too much confinement? <laughs> Why, you keep yourself confined all the time. I would prefer not to take a clerkship. Mm, how would a bartender's business suit you? I wouldn't like that at all. Though, as I said before, I'm not particular. Well, then... Would you like to travel through the country collecting uh, bills for merchants? That would improve your health. I'm not particular about my health. <laughs> you could be a travelling companion. You could tour Europe with, with some young gentleman, entertaining him with your uh, conversation. How would that suit you? Not at all. It doesn't strike me that there's anything definite about that. I like to be stationary, but I'm not particular... Stationary. <laughs> Stationary. <sighs> Bartleby, will you come home with me now? Not to my office, but to my dwelling. Remain there until we can conclude upon some convenient arrangement for you. No. At present, I would prefer not to make any change at all. Well... Well, goodbye, Bartleby. I'm going. Goodbye, and God in some way bless you.
I was convinced that I had done all that I possibly could to benefit Bartleby and shield him from persecution. Now I decided to put the matter completely out of mind. Several irate notes from the landlord of my previous offices followed in quick succession, which I ignored. The final one was, of course, inevitable. It informed me that the writer had sent for the police and Bartleby had been removed to the tombs as a vagrant. Oh, yes, yes. The gentleman you describe is here with us. Uh, well, uh, I'm here to assure you that he's a perfectly honest man. Uh, however eccentric he may appear, he is altogether harmless. We can believe that, sir. He offered no resistance at all when we arrested him. Uh, he, he is ill. Uh, a deep illness that needs a compassionate hand. Uh, I submit that he be allowed to remain here in as indulgent confinement as possible till something uh, less harsh might be done. Uh, though I hardly know what. May I ask if you're offering to take responsibility for him? Uh, no, I cannot do that. I cannot. Uh, but I will do whatever else can be done for him. Well, if nothing else can be decided, it'll be the almshouse for him. Uh, 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 may I see him now? Oh, yes, come along this way. Uh, he's in the prison yard, I expect. As you say, he seemed quite harmless. Uh, We've permitted him to wander about the yard, though he spends most of his time just standing by himself in the corner. Uh, yes. You'll probably find him there now, staring at the wall. Here. Uh, uh, through here. Yes, yeah, uh, there he is. Over there. Oh, oh thank you, officer. Uh, I, I would like to speak with him alone briefly. Uh, you would do us a favor, sir, if you uh, could get him to eat a little. Uh, He's refused his meals. He's that frail as it is, and, well, if he doesn't get a bit of nourishment, he, he won't be standing for long. Uh, yes. Yes, uh, I'll see what I can do, officer. Well, thank you if you can help a little... Bartleby? Bartleby, won't you turn around and, and speak to me? I know you and I want nothing to say to you. It was not I that brought you here, Bartleby. And to you this should not be so vile a place. Nothing reproachful attaches to you by being here. And, and see, it is not so sad a place as one might think. Look, look, there is the sky. And here... Here, here is the grass. I know where I am. Bartleby, the officer says you refuse to eat. Now, there's no reason to that. You must get some nourishment. I prefer not to dine. It would disagree with me. I'm unused to dinners. Bartleby, why do you do this? Why? I prefer... Some few days later, I was called to the tombs. I'm afraid the man is too deranged for us to care for him. He'll be removed tomorrow. There's no serious charge against him, but he needs attention. As you see, there he lies, sleeping in the corner. I saw him lie down some 20 minutes ago. I doubt he had the strength to stand any longer. Uh, um, wait here. Uh, let me go to him alone. His dinner is ready, if you can get him to eat some of it. 
strangely huddled at the base of the wall, his knees drawn up and lying on his side, I saw the wasted Bartleby. The thick Egyptian character of the wall seemed to weigh upon him in its gloom. But nothing stirred. His dim eyes were open. Otherwise, he seemed profoundly sleeping. Will he eat? Or does he live without eating? Lives without eating. Is he asleep then? Yes. Yes, he sleeps with kings and counselors. There would seem to be little need to proceed further in this history. To those of you who are curious as to who Bartleby was and what manner of life he led prior to the acquaintance I have narrated, I can only reply that in such curiosity I fully share, but am wholly unable to gratify it. There is, however, one vague report which has not been without a certain strange suggestive interest to me. The report was that Bartleby had been a subordinate clerk in the dead-letter office at Washington, from which he had been suddenly removed by a change in the administration. When I think over this rumour, I cannot adequately express the emotions which seize me. Dead letters. Does it not sound like dead men? Conceive a man, by nature and misfortune, prone to a pallid hopelessness. Can any business seem more fitted to heighten it than that of continually handling these dead letters and assorting them for the flames? By the cartload they are annually burned. Sometimes from out the folded paper, the pale clerk takes a ring. The finger it was meant for perhaps moulders in the grave. A banknote sent in swiftest charity. He whom it would relieve nor eats nor hungers any more. Pardon for those who die despairing. Hope for those who died unhoping. Good tidings for those who died stifled by unrelieved calamities. On errands of life, these letters speed to death. Bartleby. Hmm. Ah, humanity. That was Bartleby the Scrivener by Herman Melville. The technical production was by John Whiting. The music was taken with certain liberties and kind permission by its composer from a composition by Douglas Leedy and augmented with sounds from another composition by Lou Harrison. 
The part of Bartleby was played by Bernard Mays. Ben Giacopetti played Nippers. The officer was played by Martin Ponch. The master of chancery and the adaptation of the story for radio was by your host of the Black Mass, Eric Bowersfeld. And now, good night.